So anyway, we're going through these uh, seven pillars of wisdom's house that uh, I believe are found here in James chapter 3, verses 17 through 18. We've gone through the six pillars, and now we've come to the last pillar in this group, and that is uh, wisdom without hypocrisy. Wisdom without hypocrisy. Uh, James writes here in James three seventeen through 18, But the wisdom that is from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, and easy to be entreated, full of mercy and good fruits, without partiality and without hypocrisy. So hypocrisy. I think we all understand what hypocrisy is. I think we've all been subject to it at one time or seen it or maybe even been involved in it in our own personal lives. I think I think we all may have a testimony of being hypocrites at one time or another. Maybe not all of us, uh, but I, I can remember a few times that uh, I, I played that. Hypocrisy, to me, a very simple uh, definition of hypocrisy is the state of pretense. Being in the state of pretense. Uh, to pretend that you have beliefs or values or qualities or, you know, or virtues that you really do not possess. So you're putting on a, a show, a face, uh, a mask. Uh, and, and to me, the genius of the Holy Spirit is seen here as, as he lists out these seven pillars of, of wisdom, these, these characteristics of wisdom. I mean, he starts off with um, uh, the purity of doctrine and then goes through all these. And then he ends up without hypocrisy without hypocrisy and that's not an accident that's not an accident why that that uh, worked out that way because stop and think about it uh, truth and hypocrisy cannot mix it just can't they're both on the opposite ends of the pole truth and hypocrisy simply cannot mix Uh, Hypocrisy is an abomination to the truth, while hypocrites, in turn, hate the truth. They just don't mix. Proverbs 29.27 says, An unjust man is an abomination to the just, and he that is upright in the way is an abomination to the wicked. So they just just don't mix. They They just don't mix. They're incompatible. And these seven qualities of wisdom that we looked at here in James' epistle, uh, a person who is playing the hypocrite will not have these characteristics because they're not operating from that wisdom that's from above, are they? They're operating from that wisdom that's from below. And they are, and because they're in this state of pretense, that means that they are living a what? A lie. A lie. They're living a lie. Whether they see it or not, whether they will admit to it or not, they are. They're living a lie. Uh, The word hypocrite comes from the Greek word Hippocrates, and it means an actor or stage player. So in the beginning, the word hypocrite didn't have the meaning that we know of it, of it today. It was just, it was the descriptive word of somebody who is a, an actor, who, someone who is on the stage. And in the old days, uh, I'm sure you guys have seen something similar to this, if you've been in a drama class in high school or something. Yeah, in the old days, in, in the Greek plays, uh, the, the actors would have masks that they would hold before their faces to portray the, the character uh, that they were playing, that they were playing. Uh, the Japanese Kabuki theater does the very same thing. If, you know, if, you ever, if you're familiar with that, they wear these elaborate costumes and their faces are painted in elaborate ways, and that's just to you know, present the personality or the character uh, that they're playing. And, and, and the word itself, uh, when you literally translate it, it means an interpreter from underneath. So it's so you're standing there and you've got a mask in front of your face and you're playing this part. So that's that's hypocrisy. In a spiritual sense, in a moral sense, that's what people do when they're hypocrites. They they're hiding behind a mask. They're playing a part. They're playing a part. Now, thankfully in our country, we don't have hypocrites in in our government, do we? <laughs> yeah, unfortunately we do. 
Unfortunately, we do. Uh, we do have we we do have hypocrites in in government and law enforcement and the legal system. I mean, they're they're everywhere. They're absolutely everywhere. Um, and whenever we hear of a public official that's been caught in a scandal. Um, at one time, that used to be a surprising thing, but not anymore nowadays. You know, it seems like that kind of stuff is kind of swept under the carpet and covered over. And okay, what's going on there? Some more hypocrisy going on, isn't it? Um, Proverbs nineteen six says, "Many will entreat the favor of the prince, and every man is a friend to him that giveth gifts." All right, so that talks about bribery, doesn't it? Talks about bribery. You slip a little bit of money under the table to a politician or to an official, then you'll, um, you know, you'll get what you. What, we studied that last week. That's partiality, isn't it? That's showing favoritism. That's showing favoritism. What I've seen, and you may have seen the same thing that I have, but what I see, where it really seems to become sensational is when, say, a prominent religious leader or a pastor, you know, or even a prominent denomination is caught in, in hypocrisy, right? Uh, whenever a pastor, uh, well, like, for instance, if I were to say the name uh, Jim Baker, Right? So all that man's efforts and ministry is now, what? Clouded because of this one act of hypocrisy. You know, so something like that. Um, so, yeah, with religious leaders, it seems like this is really sensationalized. It's really just just um, over the top. I was in a church one time where an individual, a very prominent man in the church, was caught in hypocrisy. And I noticed two reactions. Uh, some were absolutely incredulous. They just couldn't believe that a man like this would do what he did. Others, they took on another aspect, more of a smug, condemning, you know, well, how, you know, uh, what, what does David say? Oh, how have the mighty have fallen? I noticed this reaction in the church about this particular individual. And generally, that's what you see. You see some people just shocked, they can't believe it, and other people say, good, he got what he got, you know, what he deserved. Matthew chapter 6, Jesus talks about hypocrites, doesn't he? Talks about religious hypocrites. He talks about uh, the guy who gives his money for everybody to see. He talks about the guy who's praying on the street corner. So everybody can see him praying, oh, how pious is it? he is, what a great prayer warrior he is. Or the guy who is, uh, who is fasting, you know, he walks around like, you know, he may, he may have skipped breakfast, so now he's walking around like he's just really suffering. What did Jesus say about these guys? He called them hypocrites. He called them all hypocrites. They were all portraying this personification that wasn't real. And you know what he also said about these guys who were in this state of pretense that we were appearing to others what they truly were not? He said they they will receive the reward of a hypocrite. They will receive the... What do you think a hypocrite is looking for? Recognition. Recognition. Praise of men. Oh, look at brother so-and-so. What a fine, godly man he is. Right? So they're looking for praise of men. This is often the the chief motivation of this kind. Uh, Jesus even mentioned about these guys in John 12, 43, for they love the praise of men more than the praise of God. That's what a hypocrite's all about. To look good in the eyes of others. To look good in the eyes of others. Is that operating off of the wisdom from above? It isn't, isn't it? That's more of the wisdom down below, isn't it? That fleshly, worldly, devilish wisdom. The, the pretense for the purpose of deception motivated by pride 
to be praised. That's a mouthful. But essentially, that's, that's what's going on. That's what's going on. Now, when God looks at a... See, we can only see the outward part of man. But when God looks on a man, what does God look at? The heart? Yeah, he does. He looks, he looks on the heart. He looks on the... Now, is he looking at the organ pumping? What is he, when, when, it, when it says that God is looking at the heart, what is he really looking at? Yeah, the real you on the inside that not everybody gets to see. Right? The real you on the inside. Psalms 51.6 says, speaking of the Lord, he says, Behold, thou desirest truth in the inward parts. And in the hidden part, thou shalt make me to know wisdom. Now don't miss the connection there. The connection between the, the truth that we find in God's word and the inward parts, that's our heart attitude, and the wisdom. All of that is conjoined. All of that is conjoined because those who uh, love God's wisdom, remember the easily entreated? Those who love God's wisdom will have that truth in their hearts. And because you have that truth of God in your heart, then God's going to give you more wisdom. That's what we looked at when we talked about partiality. You know, when I was thinking of this, I was thinking of uh, Moses' father-in-law. What was his name? Jethro? Is that right? Or is that Beverly Hillbillies? Both. Okay, good. So anyway, uh, I was thinking about uh, Jethro. And uh, he was watching Moses one day, and he was watching Moses, you know, hearing all of the people's cases, and he could see that Moses was being overtaxed. And so he calls Moses aside, and he gives Moses a really, some really good advice. And he gives Moses some criteria. He says, look out among yourself some good men to help you with this. And he writes in Exodus 18.21, he says, Moreover, thou shalt provide out of all the people able men, such as fear God, that's a good place to start, men of truth, hating covetousness, or without partiality, you can't bribe them, and place such over them to be rulers of thousands, hundreds, thirties, fifties, and tens. He says, look for men that have truth in the heart, that fear God. Joshua, in the closing of his uh, days, the closing of his time of leading Israel, um, he gives Israel a charge. He gives Israel a charge. And he says, Now therefore fear the Lord and serve him in sincerity and in truth. And put away those gods that you've hauled with you from Egypt. But serve God in sincerity and truth from the heart. From the heart. In essence, what Joshua is saying, he says, Man, don't play game. Man, don't play game. I'm sure he spoke like that. He says, man, don't play games with God. This is too serious. This is too serious. Another godly man in a different time in Israel's history, when Israel came to this man and said, we want a king like other nations. Well, he was concerned for these people. And so Samuel, in 1 Samuel 12, 24, he says, Okay, you're going to get a king, but listen to me. Only fear the Lord and serve him in truth with all your heart. With all your heart. He was concerned. He was concerned because Israel had a heart issue, didn't it? It had a heart issue. Now, do you think that's only true for... Folks who lived in the Old Testament? Yeah, do you? You don't think it's true of us? <laughs> yeah, it's true of us. It is. It's true of us. 
Turn to uh, 1 Peter chapter 1. The Apostle Peter also talked about this. He was talking to the scattered churches and he was concerned about these churches that were scattered due to persecution and stuff. And So 1 Peter chapter 1 we're going to spend a little bit of time here. 1 Peter 1 14 through 15 is where, I'll, where I'm going to go. And this is what Peter writes to these believers. He says in 1 Peter 1.14, he says, As obedient children, not fashioning yourselves according to the former lusts in your ignorance, but as he which hath called you is holy, so be ye holy in all manner of conversation. Now Peter may not have used the same terminology that these guys did back in the Old Testament, but it's same thing, same intention same charge and I refer to this passage in 1 Peter because of what he says here about not fashioning yourselves that's like putting on a costume it's the way you know you're dressing yourself up like a kabuki (laughs) Japanese kabuki actor He's saying to these believers in his day and also to us as well, he says, you know, as, as believers in Jesus Christ, he says, our character should be as obedient children to the Father. As obedient children to the Father. I mean, read this verse. As obedient children, comma, skip all of that in the middle. As obedient children, but as he which hath called you is holy, so be ye holy in all manner of conversation. That is the way we should be. As obedient children to the one who's called us. You remember what conversation means? There you go. Lifestyle. So it's more than just our words, isn't it? It's, it's how we carry ourselves. It's our attitude. It's our walk. That's the theme of this whole thing, our walk. It's how we walk before others. It's how others see us. In other words, we're to behave as children who reflect the values of our Heavenly Father. As obedient children. Hear that? You ever hear that saying, well, he's a chip off the old block? Why do they say that? Because they're behaving, they have the same values as their father. And that's the way we should be. We should have that, we should be chips off the old block in regards to our Heavenly Father. What Peter means here, not fashioning yourselves according to the former lusts and your ignorance, well that's that worldliness that we all used to live in. That's operating under that Wisdom that's from below. That wisdom that's fleshly and worldly and devilish. That shouldn't characterize us anymore. That shouldn't be the way we, we operate. Shouldn't be the way we operate. And so Peter's concern is that some of these believers are doing just the opposite of what they've been called to. Hey guys, you're not acting like children of the Father. You're slipping back in those old ways, those old habits, those old attitudes. You see, spiritually in their hearts, what they were doing is they were putting back on those old rags of a sin-ruined life. A sin-ruined life. They were putting on the old man rather than putting on the new man. Now, what do we refer to a believer like that? What is it we call them? Huh? Backsliders. Carnal. Fleshly. Why do we say those things? Because that's the way they're behaving. Right? That's the way they're behaving. That's the way they're talking. That's the way they're thinking. So instead of living as new creatures in Christ, you know what they're doing behind their carnality? 
They're hiding Christ in them. Okay? They're hiding Christ in them. They have put on this garment of carnality and it's covering over Christ. They're putting on this mask and it's not a true reflection of who they are in Christ. I love what uh, our pastor said one time. He says, when we die to self, the flesh becomes transparent and the glory of Christ shines through. These people weren't dying to self. These people were carnal. They were hiding Christ. Their new nature. Their new nature. They were masking around in the costume of worldliness instead of in that new garment that Christ has given us, that inner man that Christ has given us. You see what I'm saying here? That's a form of hypocrisy. That's a form of hypocrisy. You're not living who you truly are. You're living what you once were. Now it works in both ways too. Remember, hypocrisy is a state of pretense. One will either live what in reality they are not or fail to live like who the Bible describes them, who they truly are. On the one hand, we have believers who are wearing the carnal masks, hiding Christ in their life. And then on the other hand, you've got folks who are garbed in religiosity. Religiosity. Again, going back to 1 Peter, some of these believers, probably the majority of these believers that Peter wrote to, were one-time Jews who observed the Mosaic Law and all the ceremonies and the washings and the rites. And I believe there was a concern on Peter's part that even some of these folks were starting to slip back into the old ways of the Mosaic system. That was the same kind of problem that Paul wrote about in the book of Hebrews. They were falling back into the old ways of the Mosaic system. And when they start falling back into the old ways of the Mosaic system and all of its legalism, what they were doing is is they were forgetting about the grace of God that saved them, that delivered them from that system. I say this because of what Peter says here in verse 17 when he says, And if ye, if ye call on the Father who without respect of persons. You see, God isn't impressed by your religiosity. If your heart's not right, I don't care how religious you might appear, he's not impressed. That's the fault of a legalistic mind. Well, if I do this and don't do that, God's going to be happy with me. I'm going to be special in God's eyes. And it even goes deeper. And I'm even better than my brother or sister. Well, that's where you go wrong. He also said in verse 18... For as much as you know that ye were not redeemed with corruptible things of silver and gold from your vain conversation received by tradition from your fathers. That's why I think some of these folks are not only being carnal in their life, but also dropping back into this legalistic system. In both situations, whether carnal or legalistic, both are hypocritical because neither one of these showed the true nature of Christ in us. Are you tracking with me on what I'm trying to say here? In other words, don't play the game. Don't live like what you're not. We've got Christ in us. And I'm going to talk about that in just a minute. That should be who's shining forth. That's wisdom without hypocrisy. Paul talks, talks about this in Colossians. Turn to Colossians chapter 3. Paul also kind of touches on this. Colossians chapter 3, when he wrote to the believers there in Colossae, 
I think that's how you pronounce that city's name. He says here in Colossians chapter 3, If ye then be risen with Christ, so that's a, what do you call that, a rhetorical statement or whatever. In other words, guys, you are risen in Christ, right? So if ye then be risen with Christ, seek those things which are above what Christ sitteth on the right hand of God. Where is your focus? Set your affection on things above, not on things on the earth. Where is your affection? And then he says, this is you. This is who you really are. For you are dead and your life is hid with Christ in God. When Christ who is our life shall appear, then shall you appear with him in glory. That's you and me. Our life is now hid in Christ. That's you and me. If one's heart is divided... What does the Bible say you have now? A double mind. And a lot of us wrestle with this double mind. They wrestle, we wrestle with this double mind. I, I do. We've got one foot in the world and we've got one foot headed for heaven. It's like walking across a beaver dam and one leg falls through the hole and the other leg is up in the air and you're just sitting there going around in circles. That's a Patrick McManus. But that's what it's like. He goes on in verse 5, Colossians 3, he says, Mortify therefore your members which are upon the earth. And then he goes through all these things. And in verse 7, In which ye also walked some time when you lived in them. That's not you anymore, he's saying. What mask are we wearing? What costume do we have on? What game are we playing here? Then he goes on, he says in Colossians 3.9, he says, Lie not one to another, seeing that you have put off the old man with his deeds and have put on the new man, which is renewed in knowledge after the image of him that created him. Do you see that phrase there, lie not one to another? For a long time, I looked at that and I thought of, you know, being honest with your words. But I think it goes a lot deeper than that. Yeah, we should be honest in our words, we should be truthful in our words, but what about our life? Are we playing the hypocrite for others to see? Are we lying to one another by our false costume of religion or whatever it is that we're trying to impress people with? Don't live a lie before others, I think is what he's saying. There's no wisdom in that kind of masquerade. It's risky, really, if you stop and think about it. It really is risky. One thing is guaranteed about hypocrisy. It will be exposed. It will be exposed. So, I guess um, don't play the super saint. Don't play the super saint. Walk around with this big old S on your chest, right? Don't be a super saint. Don't try to pretend to be a super saint. Jesus kind of talks about super saints a little bit. Matthew chapter 7. I know you guys are familiar with this. He says, Judge not that ye be not judged, for with what judgment ye judge, ye shall be judged. With what measure ye meet, it shall be measured to you again. And why beholdest thou the mote that is in thy brother's eye, but considerest not the beam that is in thine own eye? Or how wilt thou say to thy brother, Let me pull out the mote out of thine eye, and behold, a beam is in thine own eye? He says very clearly, Thou hypocrite, first cast out the beam out of thine own eye, and then shalt thou see clearly to cast out the mote out of thy brother's eye. You know, hypocrites are generally pretty easy to recognize. 
they spend most of their time pointing out the flaws in others and the rest of their time bragging about their own perfections. That's just the way they work. That's just the way they work. And chances are, and I know this is true in my own life, uh, chances are if somebody is boasting of their flawless superiority, they're covering something. They're hiding something. They're trying to distract your attention away from something that's going on in their life that they don't want you to see or know about. And like I said, that's not a smart way to go because eventually that kind of stuff is exposed. That kind of stuff is exposed. Job chapter 20 verse 5 says that the triumphing of the wicked is short and the joy of the hypocrite but for a moment. Yeah, they'll be basking in the praise of men for a little bit, but then that just evaporates as soon as they're exposed. So, you know, don't pretend. Don't try to put on ears. Don't wear a mask. Walk as God meant you to walk. Is that is that right English? <laughs> Walk as God meant you to walk. Now, how did God mean for us to walk? Anybody? Uprightly. Uprightly, yes. Righteously. Righteously, that's good. All of those. But the key to all of this, especially for us believers, is found in Galatians 5.16. This I say then, walk in the Spirit. And you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh, for the flesh lusteth against the spirit, and the spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary, the one to the other, so that ye cannot do the things that ye would. Walk according to the spirit. When a born-again believer is walking according to the flesh, he's not living as God had saved him from. He's not. And I believe if, if you're walking contrary to what God has saved you from, I believe you're a miserable individual. I believe you are, and I, I believe you know you are. Why do I say that? Because I know I am. And I'm no different than you guys, and you're no different than me. When I'm, when, when I'm out of sorts with God and others because of my flesh, I'm not happy. I might appear happy, but I'm not happy. I'm not happy. I, I, I'm, not, I'm not even pleasant to be around. Ask my wife. When I've got a stinky, hard attitude, <laughs> I'm not a very pleasant person to be around. I don't like being that way. I don't. I don't like being that way. You know what the normal Christian life is? It's to walk in the Spirit. That's the normal Christian life. To walk in the Spirit. That's what God created for us to do that's that's how he made us when he made us new creatures or not to walk in the flesh that's not normal for us but unfortunately it appears to be normal for a lot of Christians but that's just not the normal way to walk And when you're not walking in that way, you're miserable. Whether you want to admit it or not, you're miserable. I read a book a long time ago, and it took me a little bit to think about this, but the guy said, in life, pain is inevitable, but misery is an option. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, there's going to be pain in life. But if you're walking out of the will of God, if you're walking in the flesh and you're miserable, whose fault is that? That's your choice. You opt for that. That's not the normal Christian life. 
the normal Christian life is to walk in the Spirit, which would be evidence of this fruit of the Spirit operating in your relationship with others and before God. 1 John 1.16 says, If we say that we have fellowship with Him and walk in darkness... We lie and do not the truth. That's some pretty strong language right there. I would be so bold to say that if a born-again Christian is walking in sin and they know they are walking in sin, then they are living a lie. Because that is not your nature. If you have Christ in you, that is not your nature. Now, that doesn't mean they've lost their salvation, but they're certainly not living it out. Not a wise course to take. That's one of those major signs along life's path. Be sincere, be real with your relationship with God and others. Don't put on this mask. Wisdom without hypocrisy. 1 John 1, 1, seven says, But if we walk in the light as He is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus Christ, His Son, cleanses us from all sin. I like that last part. <laughs> because we're going to mess up. But guess what? His blood cleanses us. We can keep going on. Keep going on. But so many of us become entrapped in this lie because we think it's hopeless. No, it's not hopeless. It's not hopeless. And when one finds himself in this situation, what should we do? 1 John 1, 9. Right? Yeah, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Praise God! Right? Because he wants you to walk the way he's created you to walk. In the light, as he is in the light. You see where I'm going? hope you know the book of Proverbs is full of warnings about those who are false those who pretend and I've read through Proverbs several times and and there is not an exception to the rule those who are false it doesn't end well for them it doesn't end well for them And the writer of Proverbs wants us to know that not everyone we meet in life are not as they appear. (laughs) Right? We kind of go, duh. But you'd be surprised how many times we allow ourselves to be duped. It happens. Proverbs 23.7 says, For as he thinketh in his heart, so is he. Eat and drink, saith he to thee, but his heart is not with thee. Well, I've run into a few of those. I've run into a few of those. They're they're your BFF until they get what they want out of you and then they drop you like a hot rock. You know, even though it may not be listed among the seven things that God hates in Proverbs 6, 16-19, I still think that this matter of pretense would be a strong candidate if you wanted to put an eighth one in there. I mean, wasn't that the thing that the Lord had issues with with the Pharisees and the scribes? Eight times he said, Woe unto thee, ye scribes, ye Pharisees, ye hypocrites. Pretense. Proverbs 11.1, 1, Ron is always quoting this, this verse. A false balance is an abomination to, to the Lord, but a just weight is his delight. There's that word again, delight. 
God seeks those to worship Him in spirit and truth. You know, the book of Proverbs gives a lot of contrast between false and true, foolish and wise, the evil and the good. And it's the wise man that exercises discretion when it comes to all of them. Most especially those who are wearing the masks. Let me um, requote Psalms 51.6. Behold, thou desirest truth in the inward parts. Now when you think of the word desire, what does that mean to you? Yeah, something you want strongly, something you really wish for, something that you long after, you desire it. Well, I looked this word up, and uh, here's another little twist on this word desire in Psalms 51. It actually means delighting in something that has been discovered in another. Delighting in something that has been discovered in another. It's like opening a gift and you see in this gift something that you have really wanted all your life and then you're so happy to see that you're finally in possession of it. Another example is like with uh, Jonathan and David and their friendship. When Jonathan was observing David and Listening to David, it says in Psalm 19:2, Jonathan's son, uh, Jonathan, Saul's son, delighted much in David. That's the very same word in Psalms 51:6. He delighted in David. There was some quality in David that drew Do- Jonathan to David. There was something in David that delighted Jonathan and it drew him to him. And it says that Jonathan in 1 Samuel 18.1 it says that Jonathan loved David as his own soul. And then when Jonathan was killed in battle and David had heard about Jonathan's death, he said, and this is David, he said in 2 Samuel 126, he says, I am distressed for thee, my brother Jonathan, very pleasant hast thou been unto me. Thy love to me was wonderful, passing the love of women. There was something in David that Jonathan delighted in, and there was something in Jonathan that David delighted in. And so their hearts knit together in this tight friendship this camaraderie this brotherhood as Louis L'Amour would put it David was the kind of man that he would ride the river with he knew he had his back he knew he could be trusted they were like-minded. That's the same word that we see here in Psalms 51. When truth is in the inward parts, that's attractive to God. That draws God closer. That's something that God will embrace. kind of puts a different meaning to that word now, doesn't it? Now why do you think why do you think that draws God? Why do you think God embraces that? When he discovers truth in the inward parts of his people. What is the nature of God? Truth. That's the nature of God, truth. God the Father is truth. Deuteronomy 32.4 He is the rock. His work is perfect for all his ways are judgment. A God of truth and without iniquity just and right is he. God the Son is truth. John 14.6 Jesus saith, I am the way, the truth, and the life. 
No man cometh unto the Father but by me. God the Holy Spirit is truth. John fourteen seventeen. Even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it seeth him not, neither knoweth him, but ye know him, for he dwelleth in you and shall be in you. The Godhead is truth. And as Amos 3.3 3 says, can two walk together except they be agreed? So when God sees his word in your life, that's appealing. That's appealing. That's what he looks for. That's what he looks for. Now here's something to to to, to to ponder on you know uh, Israel was chosen it was God's chosen people (laughs) the church of Jesus Christ is a privileged people and the reason why I say this is because of what the Bible teaches and I'll use this one verse 2 Peter chapter 1 In verse 4, whereby are given unto us exceeding great and precious promises, that by these ye might be partakers of the divine nature. Now what is that saying? The God of truth now lives in me and you. In the person of the Holy Spirit. We are privileged people. We are privileged people. We have the spirit of truth dwelling in us. That opens up the door of fellowship widely. And we should be taking advantage of that. That's a privileged position. Because of this pure doctrine that's easy to be entreated, we love it. Doesn't that kind of burn in your heart to think about that? It's gentle. It brings peace to my soul. It's full of mercy and good fruits to those who love this wisdom, who have this truth inside them. that fellowship that is available to you then why would somebody walk carnal and contrary to this wisdom yet it's the wisdom from below in our hearts that seeks to play this shell game with God thinking you can put one over on him And religious people play this part as if God can't really see what's going on. Do you think you fool God? Proverbs 20.12 says, The hearing ear and the seeing eye, the Lord hath made even both of them. So you can kind of see the wisdom without hypocrisy. Be real. Don't play games. Like Paul said in Acts 24.16, And herein do I exercise myself to always have a conscience void of offense toward God and toward men. Don't play games. Be real. Be real. False balance is abomination of the Lord, but a just weight is his delight. Now what about this false balance? What about this thing? God doesn't like it. Being truth, you can kind of understand why he doesn't like a false balance. Because a balance is um, to make sure um, business is done honestly, right? Is the word equity, does that apply? Or but anyway, you want to make sure you get an ev- a fair trade in business. A just trade in business. So historically what dishonest merchants would do, and they still do today from my understanding, is they would tamper with the weights. 
and they would fix the weights to where it would advantage them, right? Profit them and yet cheat out their customers. Well, that's, that's just plain dishonest. That's, that, that, that's hypocrisy. Because you're presenting something like it really isn't. When I worked for the uh, pharmaceutical uh, manufacturing plant, we use scales all the time, large scales and very small scales that sit on desks. And these scales were calibrated all the time. They had to be. FDA requirement, all sorts of you know different laws and so forth were involved in this. Plus, we wanted to make sure the efficacy of our medication was such and safety for the customer and all that kind of stuff. So we had all these scales, and all these scales were were calibrated. And if they weren't calibrated, they were tagged out of service, and we did not use those scales. Which meant sometimes, because they fell behind in the schedule of calibration, we had to take what it was that we needed away almost halfway across the building to find a scale that was calibrated. So we, we took it very seriously. And then the scales that that we would use whenever we would, because in some processes, a part of the process was you had to calibrate the scale prior to its use. So we had these weights that was given to us by uh, that government department of weight, uh, weights and measures. And we used these weights to make sure that the scale was calibrated, was weighing as it should. If it didn't, then that was tagged out of service and we found another one that did. All of this was a very careful process because we wanted to make sure that we weren't working with a false balance. Right? I mean, even these weights that we had, they would come and pick them up, exchange them with other weights, and then they'd take these weights and make sure that they were actually what they were. So a very, very careful process. Again, all of that was to make sure we were working with scales that were not calibrated or they were, uh, you know, false balances. Now I say that to say this. I know that's kind of a lengthy illustration. How do you think that we calibrate our lives to make sure that we are not a false balance. How do we do that? God's Word. Right? God's Word is our standard. God's Word is our standard. So we're to calibrate our lives according to the wisdom from above because that wisdom from below is constantly in there monkeying around (laughs) with us. All the time. And it's so subtle. It's so, so subtle. And so we need to keep our lives calibrated by going to God's perfect standard in His Word. In His Word. Because we know that there's jokers out there who appear as angels of light. But are they? No. They're not. So we got to stay in God's word. We got to stay in in God's word. That's that's how we that's how we calibrate our hearts. Psalms 19:7 says the law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. We need our minds constantly renewed. We need to flush all of that out. We need to go to God's standard because sometimes guys it gets really confusing with all of that information that's going on out there Philippians uh, 4.8 says finally brethren whatsoever things are true whatsoever things are honest whatsoever things are just whatsoever things are pure whatsoever things are lovely whatsoever things are of good report If there be any virtue, and if there be any praise, think on these things. And those things which you have been both learned and received and heard and seen in me do. And the God of peace shall be with you. You know, we need to to be in a place that preaches the word of God faithfully, truthfully, 
be in a place that's not a place of a false balance, but a place that is a, a, a just, a true balance, one that preaches the word of God. Colossians um, 3.10 says, have put on, and, and have put on the new man which, was, which is renewed in knowledge after the image of him that created him. He's our standard, isn't he? Jesus Christ is our standard. He's our model. He's the one that we're shooting for. He's the one that God is uh, conforming us into his image. He's the one that we aspire to be like. And how do we do that? It says right here, through knowledge. That means we got to get into God's Word. We need a consistent and daily time in God's Word. Now, getting into God's Word, is that, is that enough? <laughs> you have to apply it. That's right. You have to apply it. You don't go to the scale on the desk and you've got this nice little wooden box full of all these weights and you just leave the weights there. You've got to pull those weights out and put them on the scale. You've got to apply it. You've got to apply it. That means you might have to change an attitude. Or it might mean you have to change the way you think about something. Or it might mean you have to change the way you're behaving or treating someone. Calibrating, And then James closes out in verse 18 of chapter 3, the fruit of righteousness is sown in peace of them that make peace. So when we apply the wisdom that's from above, it will produce that fruit of righteousness. It will produce that fruit of righteousness. The train just pulled in. If anybody needs to, you don't want to miss your train. I hope you guys are understanding what I'm saying about without hypocrisy. You know, be real with God. Be genuine with God. That's what he's looking for. That's what he's looking for. And make sure your genuineness matches his genuineness. Because even in that, we get kind of mixed up. Even in that, we get kind of mixed up. So the seven pillars of wisdom house, of wisdom's house, that's a good foundation to build on. And let me leave you, leave you with this last verse. Paul writes to Timothy in 1 Timothy 3.14 and 15. He says... These things write I unto thee, hoping to come unto thee shortly. But if I tarry long, that thou mayest know how... He says, but if I tarry long, that thou mayest know how thou oughtest to behave thyself in the house of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and ground of truth. Now I say that especially in our times. Because as we get closer toward the rapture, one of the signs is there's going to be a great falling away. Don't let that happen to you. Don't let that happen to you. Already we're seeing a forsaking of the assembling of ourselves together. And it's being made very easy to do so. You can go to YouTube and pick your favorite speaker, Facebook. You can turn on your favorite radio station. So it's very, very easy in our time to just walk away. Don't do that. That's not a wise course of action. Any uh, comments or questions on anything that I've covered? Okay, that means you can't come up to me afterwards. I'm just kidding.
All right, let's go ahead and close out in a word of prayer. Lord God in heaven, we thank you, Lord, for your word. Sometimes it's, uh, it is. It's like a sharp two-edged sword. It pierces right down to the very core of us. But Lord, that's okay. That's okay because even a surgeon has to inflict a wound in order to bring about healing. And that's what we want, Lord. We want healing. We want to be real. We want to re- be real before you. We want to be real before others. We want to be like Jesus. And there wasn't anyone more real than Jesus. So I pray, Father in heaven, that this would benefit us, Lord, and that we would take it to heart. And that, Father, when you do look upon us, you are delighted in what you see. We thank you and praise you in Christ's name. Amen.